Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, broadcasting live every Thursday, 6 to 8 p.m. Central, from Panama City Beach, Florida, home of the world's most beautiful beaches. I want to take this opportunity to thank everyone for joining me on my weekly broadcast. Every week, I'll feature some of the best instructors, coaches, authors, and entrepreneurs in the golf business today. I begin with a great discussion on Coach's Corner, followed by an insightful interview with my special guest. So let's get started by introducing tonight's Coach's Corner panel. All right, good evening, everybody, and welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, and very excited about tonight's show. Joining me uh, first on uh, the evening's program is going to be, of course, the Coach's Corner panel, and I'll introduce the guys uh, in just a few moments. And a little bit later on, I'm going to be joined by special guests, uh, Ted Keston and Chris Fuentes, uh, founders of Ranger Ready Repellent. And uh, I met these two gentlemen actually down at the PGA show this past January, and uh, it's really, really uh, a great product. And there's something a little extra special that these guys have done here uh, given our current global uh, circumstances, and we're going to talk about that. They've really stepped up and, and doing their part to to help everybody out there. So we'll talk about that and more a little bit later on in the broadcast. But let me remind everybody that Golf Talk Live is brought to you by the iGolf Sports Network. Uh, iGolfSports.com is a live stream broadcast and media production company providing top quality programming designed specifically to attract a golfing enthusiast. Also, Golf Tips. Uh, magazine Golf Tips is the game's in-depth instruction magazine offering insightful reviews on the latest equipment and tips from top PGA and LPGA teaching pros who can help improve uh, your play from tee to green. So don't forget to subscribe to golftipsmag.com. All right, uh, joining me first up on the show is, of course, the, the gang on the Coach's Corner panel. I've got two great professionals. First up is John Decker. Uh, he's a PGA instructor and motivational speaker, and he's also a newly uh, senior editor and top 25 instructor with Golf Tips Magazine. Uh, he's also the 2015 Southern Ohio Teacher of the Year. Prior to that, he was the head instructor at the Grand Cypress Academy of Golf in Orlando, where he worked under top 100 instructors, uh, Fred Griffin and Phil Rogers. Uh, he's also authored the book, Golf is My Life, Glorifying God Through the Game, which uh, also has an accompanying Bible study. Uh, also joining him on the panel tonight is uh, Clint Wright. He's a 30-year member of the PGA and one of the partners at TGM Golf, uh, which is a big proponent of the R3 approach, and uh, among the best, in my opinion, covering the short game today, and also a favorite guest panelist here on Coach's Corner. So, gentlemen, welcome to Coach's Corner panel here on Golf Talk Live. Thanks for having me, Ted. Look forward to it. Thank you, Ted. All right, guys, I, as always, um, thank you for uh, for giving of your time. I appreciate it, and uh, just before we come on air, uh, Clint, you were saying you were getting tired. A lot of things are, are happening. Of course, Clint's out in South uh, Carolina, and uh, you were talking about uh, things getting a little bit uh, a little bit busy out there. Tell us what's going on. Well, you know, our governor has um, put in a stay-at-home order, but one of the things that, that he exempted was recreation and exercise, which included golf course. Um, and also, you know, the associations have lobbied really hard to, to keep golf courses open in our state, and, right. and which they agreed to do. But we agreed to do certain things as well to try to. In these days, you have to make your facility to where the customer feels safe. So, mm-hmm. you know, we did all the generic things. We 
We put the bumpers in the on the flag six where the ball won't fall away in. Nobody flags out. We're, we don't rake bunkers. We've taken uh, the sand bottles off. We've taken water coolers off the course. Um, nobody, uh, we, nobody can sit down in the clubhouse. So we've done everything we could do to make sure we sanitize the carts every day. Uh, and so we've done everything we could do. And as fortunate as it is, you know, it's, it's a, the whole situation is sad. We have people dying, you know, from this disease, Yeah. but we also have to keep in mind that people, uh, yeah, or social, they have to get out of their house to do something. Yeah. And so with us, we've seen such an unbelievable mix of players. I mean, we've got folks mm. who've never swung a golf club before in their life coming to an 18-hole championship golf course to play golf, you know, um, because it's just what <laughs> they've heard they can do. Um, yeah. You know, and we have the casual – what's interesting is the casual club player coming back. And you're going to find this to be funny, but, John, you'll recognize why I'm going to say this and how we've kind of gauged the play. Uh, you know, we've had single rider carts. We have to make, you know, as long as it's not a family member, we try to accommodate. They can get their own cart, things of that nature. But we sold every last dollar ball we had in the building two weeks ago. <laughs> sold out the name. Well, it's that player. Hey, I ain't played in five mm-hmm. years. What's the cheapest ball you got? Right. And so if there's a silver lining to all of this, it, we hope there is somehow that uh, maybe people are getting reintroduced to our sport the hard way, you know? Uh, yeah. So, well, and- you know, we keep our fingers crossed this thing will be, you know, move on and we can come up with whatever remedies are necessary for the people out here to feel safe to go about their everyday life, not just playing golf. I mean, to go sure. eat in a restaurant and and, uh, and get your hair cut and things. So we're hoping that that's going to be soon, but we, we'll see. Yeah, and that's an interesting thing, and, and I don't want to, you know, obviously stay on it too long, but I appreciate the, right. the update. But you're exactly right. You know, we, we always talk about growing the game, and I guess in a, in a strange and odd way, this is, this is done just that for – for some folks yeah. because they've, they've been cooped up. Yeah. yeah. They've been cooped up for so long and not able to do a lot of things. And, you know, many of the golf course, not all of them, but many of them are still open and, and some of them are going to be reopening mm-hmm. here real soon. So, That's right. um, you know, for the time, for the time being, yeah, you might start getting some new, a fresh new crop of, of uh, potential golfers out there. And, and, and from yeah. that perspective, it's a good thing, but, but, but it's one other, ragged th- one other thing. Yeah. One <laughs> other thing I can add to this is that our young, my young golf perfect, teaching professional has been, you know, going, you know, he's got more business than he's ever had, and they're all about waist high. Right. You know, <laughs> <laughs> mom and dad's going to say, it don't, call, it don't care what it costs, that's kids taking a golf lesson today. <laughs> so, you know. Yeah. So we just, you I, just I, have to, have to deal with it. Well, we, we want to increase junior golf, so I guess, you know, well, however to, we get it it's done. Happening. We get it. Yeah, it's happening. Yeah, it's so happening. Uh, you want to yeah. get yourself to South Carolina. All right, thanks for the update, Clint. All right, John, yeah, I'm going to no start problem. off with you. And here's what we're going to talk about tonight. Um, I, I did a little digging and in, in, uh, came up with some interesting uh, things to talk about. And we're going to talk about the 10 Tour Pro ball striking tips. Now, these are from 10 different pros. We may not be able to get through all of them tonight, but we're going to try and get through as many. So um, 
John, I'm going to start with you, and then the the next one I'll go to Clint. So basically, you should have five each. Um, So (laughs) the first one, John, we're going to start with is from Dustin Johnson, and it talks about knee flex. So in you know an attempt, uh, just I'm going to just read you a little bit about what he says, and then I want to get your your thoughts and input. Uh, In an attempt to make a long backswing and store up as much power as possible, you can over rotate and straighten your right knee. Of course, he's talking about uh, right-handed golfers here, and of course the reverse would be for left-handed. The result is commonly a reverse pivot, which places the majority of weight on your left side at the top of the swing. This mistake also causes the club to swing back longer than you need, making it extremely difficult to square the club face at impact. So he's talking about the importance of your your back knee. So for right-handed golfers, that would be your right knee, and for left-handed, that would be your left knee, uh, loading up into the backswing. Talk about the knee flex, why it is important. He pointed out some things here, but um, I'm sure there's some more things. Why is that an important fact to, to keep in mind? This is a great, great question, uh, Ted. First of all, I want to thank you for having me on the show. And, Clint, I look forward to tonight's discussion. Uh, whenever I work with students, I describe the knees kind of as the shock absorbers um, because you're transferring weight, you're rotating. Uh, you need to have maintain your knee flex in the backswing. Um, and, and because when you, ex- when, you, when you explode and go into the golf ball, and that's what a tour player is doing, they're generating a lot of power. Um, they're athletic and it's an athletic motion. It starts to get the proper knee flex. The first thing I look at is a a student's build. You know, I'm six foot four. I'm built uh, in a lot of ways, kind of like a Davis love. So I, and, and Dustin Johnson, I know I've, I've stood up beside him and I know he is about the same height. Guys that are taller are going to have more knee flex just because of their, of their size. But even if you're not six foot four, you still need to have knee flex. And to do this, it starts by getting the weight in the balls of the feet. Uh, a lot of times when people don't flex their knees properly because they put the weight too much in their heels, et cetera. So I'm always working with students. I, what I do is there's two, two things that the listeners out there can do. Number one is get a two by four, about three feet long and stand on it um, and, and get to the balls of your feet right, right where the two by fours are and flex your knees and get into a setup position. And then as you swing the club back, you can you get a sense and feel uh, because it's going to work on your balance a little bit. Now, you're only going to be able to take it back. You're not going to make full swings, but just get a sense and feel of kind of the takeaway. And the other thing that you can do and hit golf balls with is you can actually take like a basketball or a soccer ball and put it between your thighs and bend your knees and actually hit golf balls uh, with, say, like a seven or eight iron. Uh, with a ball between between your thighs. That's a great way to help maintain the knee flex. So if you're losing your, your knee flex, when you lose your knee flex, you're going to lose your spine angle. When you lose your spine angle, then your arms and shoulders are going to take over, and there's a lot of problems that will occur from there. So whenever I look at a golf swing, I start from the ground and work up. I look at the ball weight and the balls of the feet, knee flex, hips, and go up from there. So knee flex is very important, and Dustin Johnson does it as well as anyone I've ever seen. Yeah, definitely. Well said. Um, Clint, this sort of rolls in nicely. I know we've talked about this before, but uh, I'm going to give you Luke Donald's perspective of the posture. And mm-hmm. he uh, he says when, when he sets up to the ball, he stands pretty tall at first, and then he has a little bit of a knee bend or flex, as, as John was talking about. And then he uh, will tip his upper body forward from the hips. Um, he indicates that this is important because a lot of people try to get their upper body uh, over the ball by having too much knee bend. So obviously... Mm-hmm. Uh, 
certainly some knee likes, as John pointed out, for some taller folks. But talk about this. This is something, and I'm sure you're seeing this, and let's go back to what you were talking about uh, at the beginning of the show with a lot of new people coming in. I'm sure you're seeing all kinds of, uh, of different postures and things like that. Talk about why it's important. I mean, what does it matter how we, how we stand or address the ball? What's, what's the big deal, in other words? Well, I, I think that uh, John brought it up. It's, it's an athletic move. Uh, you can call it golf, football, basketball. It's, it's an athletic body motion that has rhythm and timing uh, embedded. So you have to have control of the movement, the physical side. You know, we can talk about what the club's doing, what the arm swing's doing, but the overall power and, and, and control comes out of balance and posture and how you stand and how you can maintain that balance. You know, I've always talked to people before, says if you're going to maintain something, which we all know we're supposed to maintain our hip tilt, we maintain control of the center of our body, to where it rotates around the middle and comes back to that, you know, where it'll return to where it started. And we talk about maintaining that. And in my mind, main, if you're maintaining something, assumes that you have it. You can't maintain something you don't have. You have to create it. And we can't create it while we're moving. We have to create it from the very beginning. So that posture and your, your uh, the whole address position, how far your feet are apart, you know, alignment, everything is the start of that movement. And you both of y'all know, and a lot of your listeners know, that most good players spend more time getting ready to hit the golf ball than they actually do hitting it. You know, getting lined up properly, getting your balance right. So that posture being right is critical to the body control and timing, and particularly timing and, and rhythm. You've never seen a good dancer stand flat-footed and try to dance because you nope. can't have body rhythm and timing. So, And you never see a, a, a good athlete of any kind that's standing straight up when the play starts. They're all in that balanced position to where they can move their body under control. So that, I, that to me, that's the importance of it is simply that we, if we're going to maintain control of our body motion in order to create a good rhythm and timing through the ball, we have to start in that good position. And you're right. If you watch the practice tee, the, the people that struggle with this game as beginners are ones that are just not ready to make a swing. Uh, no matter what they try to do, they're, they're not going to do it because they're not ready to make it and not ready to maintain control. And that's where the posture thing comes in. So the importance is whether you can maintain it, so therefore you have to have it in the beginning. Yeah, and, and I think just to add to that, you know, quite often what we see many amateurs do, and, and this is usually a big indicator whether they're in the, the right posture or not, is they tend to make compensations with throughout their golf swing. Um, they'll end sure. up taking the ball or the club, you know, club more inside than maybe uh, what they should be doing and so on and so forth. And it's usually because they're not in a good setup position uh, with their posture right. to begin with. So great, some great points yeah. there, uh, Clint. Thank you. Um, John, we're going to move on to the next one. This is by Camilo uh, Vajegas, um, and he talks – I think I pronounced that correctly. Um, he talks about the, uh, uh, the left wrist, uh, and this is, as he indicates, one of his favorite swing tips uh, to keep that uh, left wrist flat when you strike the ball. And he talks about his coach back in Columbia that he taught him this when he was very, very young, and, and uh, this was one that he, he struggled with a little bit, and he said – uh, just to give you a couple examples, if your left wrist is cupped, in other words, bent back at impact, and you're, uh, you've allowed the club face to pass your hands, and you'll hit a shot thinner 
or off the right uh, to the right every time. In other words, a big old slice. And if it's uh, bowed, bent forward, then you're likely uh, going to experience uh, hooking the ball quite a bit. And this is one that he's particularly uh, guilty of. So uh, talk a little bit about the left wrist. Again, he, he's made some points here, and, and you're welcome to, to cover them again. But um, this is an area, too, I think a lot of amateurs really struggle with is, is that left wrist. Well, um, kind of piggybacking on what Clint just said, um, I, I, first of all, as a teacher, I don't spend a lot of time worrying about where the left wrist is at impact. I'm one of the, uh, you know, I may be in the minority. I know there's a lot of teachers that do. I'm more concerned where their left wrist is at setup because if you don't have a good grip, uh, the left wrist, you know, I see people trying to get their left wrist forward with bad grips, and that's going to lead to a shank or a really bad shot. So you've got to have a good grip, first of all. If you look at the tr at the modern golfers, they're going with stronger grips, which allows them to have more rotation, which allows them to get more. What I call, I don't really look at it as the, the left wrist. I look at it and call it more forward shaft lean. But the way you create forward shaft lean where you're hitting your hands or ahead of the ball, especially when you're hitting an iron, where you're hitting with a descending blow, is through the rotation of your body mass. It is not through your arms and hands. And that's the, that's the reason why I know what Camillo is saying, but as a teacher, that's not good advice, in my opinion, to give to students because – they're not learning to do it with their body. They're trying to do it with their arms and hands. I don't ever want someone to try to hit the ball with their hands. So, um, you know, it's, it's amazing, you know, because I've been around a lot, and I'm sure Clint has as well. There's a lot of great players that I've been around, but when I listen to them explain the golf swing, they're able to do those things. They're able to focus on their left wrist getting it forward at impact because they're already rotating. The average golfer is not rotating. The average golfer that I work with is not rotating. And so if I try to get them to do the left wrist, uh, it, it tends to lead, lead to some, some poor things. So if you can learn to, first of all, spend time getting a good left-hand grip. Uh, if you're a right-handed player, both hands are important on the grip. But make sure that you got your grip right. And then when you get your grip in the, in the right position – you can start working on your rotation. And as your rotation gets better, you'll start noticing that the arms and the hands and the club will all line up where they're supposed to be without you having to try to do that. So I always work with the body first and let the arms and the club and the hands follow. Very good. And, and I think you're right. I think if, again, everything it, it happens from a starting position. And I think if things are, are – put in the, the, its proper place from, from you know, um, from the very beginning, you know, good posture, balance, and, and a good grip and that sort of thing, most of the different areas of your golf swing are going to fall into um, their proper order um, if you start with a good setup. So I agree with that. I mean, I don't, I've never really subscribed to that as well. I think it, it happens naturally if, if you begin with a good grip, but uh, I don't really focus on that because then it tends to get people thinking about, well, i got to make sure this is fat, uh, flat, and they end up forcing it with their, their hands and, and so forth. So I, I agree with you a little bit on that, John. Um, Clint, we're going to talk about, uh, again, another common one. This is from Jim Furyk, uh, talking about ball position. He says, here's a quick way, in his opinion, to improve your contact. Uh, he says, quite bluntly, stop playing the ball so far back in your stance. He said he's seen um, many, many amateurs do this, in fact, thousands over the years. Uh, he says that they think that playing the ball back uh, will help them to make uh, better contact, which to a certain degree is true. But he said uh, 
many of them are playing it well back of all of their stance uh, for their you know regular shot, and uh, they're not uh, they're not getting a proper weight shift. So, what's your thoughts on the ball position? Is uh, is there sort of a one size fits all, or, or what what are your thoughts, uh, Clint? Well, you, you know, if you if you look over the years, um, there there's been about as many opinions about that as as uh, we have players. <laughs> But, um, you know, I've, I always work with a person that says, you know, I want you to take your posture, leave the club alone. I want you to, you know, put your hands together, and they're going to be the closest to the ground in the middle of your body, dead center. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then what kind of impact do you want to make? You want to hit the ball first? We always want to do that, and the divot it supposedly is to be in front of the ball, as as we see. So if you've got the the ball forward of that center, okay, then you've got to move your center forward to get to that point, mm-hmm. or you need to be able to have the ball center to slightly behind the center on on some of your shots. Now you you go back way in the day and and look at at some of Tommy Armour stuff and Hogan stuff. I mean, they played the ball in a different spot with every club. You know, right. the short clubs were played off your right foot, and more longer they got, the further you moved them forward. And I think the modern approach is a little bit more all in one place or within reason uh, of center to slightly forward of center. Because to come back to what John was saying a minute ago is that, you know, we've also evolved into more body-releasing teachers versus arm releasers. And, um, you know, so... You, you see this blend of, of modern players that being taught by older teachers have this kind of combination body release and hand release, but and then you see the even younger players are almost entirely body releasers of the club face. And to me, that's why they can hit it and swing at it so hard is that the club face is never really doing any changing through the whole swing. They just, they just move it through the space and, and releasing their entire rotation with their body through the, through the shot. And so with that in mind, you have to discover, if you're going to be a body releaser, which I would encourage, is you have to discover where the bottom of your swing is at. And and you just have to experiment to find out where the bottom of your arc is. And then I believe it ought to be played on that spot or slightly behind it for of a downward blow. Uh, because if you move it really forward, you're going to have to slide up there to get it. And we know what that creates. Uh, you know, a total inconsistency in ball flight when you start letting the center slide around. And, um, you know, so in my opinion, I think that Furyk is right, that it, it, you can't be extreme, but, but I have always taught center to slightly forward of center uh, as a single position uh, with the irons. Yeah, and I agree with that uh, quite a bit for, for a couple of reasons. Um, as as um, As you pointed out, uh, a lot of players that that may play it too far forward. Again, you've got to now move to the ball in order to make good contact, which creates all kinds of uh, of issues. And obviously, if you play it too far back, a lot of times people get stuck back there. They don't get a proper weight shift, mm-hmm. and they don't really transition through. Um, so you have to you, you, exactly you're right. You have to find that. And I think it also depends on your body uh, style on that as well. I mean, for, for sure. taller players, that's why you mean. Um, you right. know. Right. That's why I think it varies, and that's why you have to sort of experiment a little bit. So there really is, yeah, there really isn't a one size fits all. I mean, you can start with one position and and see how it goes, and then you can sort of go from there. But yeah, I agree. I think you have to really 
right. kind of experiment. And you can certainly use certain things as a guide, uh, but I agree with what you said. Um, John, we're going to come back to you. And this one was uh, one of the tips, one of the pro tips was Henrik Stenson. And he talks about shoulder angle. This is another one that, uh, again, um, some pros focus on a lot and others don't. Um, but he, he indicates here, he says, with a driver or fairway wood, uh, your shoulders should be tilted at a dress. Uh, the left one should be higher. Again, we're talking about right-handed golfers, so just flip the uh, reverse for, for those of you that are left-handed. Uh, but he talks about the left one uh, shoulder should be uh, a little bit higher than the right one and not square as they are with irons. Um, and he basically says that this technique ensures that you reap the benefit of whatever loft your driver or wood has to offer, um, remembering that modern drivers are designed to carry the ball a long way through air, so um, setting up to a more solid position. So he's trying to get that proper shoulder uh, angle and tilt, if you will, uh, right from the beginning. Talk a little bit about that. What are your thoughts on, on uh, the angle of the shoulders? Well, the, the tilt, uh, I call it the tilt uh, when I'm teaching. Um, he's correct. The left shoulder should be higher than the right shoulder for a right-handed player. And the reason is very simple. Your right hand is lower on the club than your left hand. Um, and so that's the, that's the most basic uh, explanation that you can give someone is your hands are not completely together when you grip the club. Your right hand is, low, is closer to the ball than your left hand. And so that is going to um, allow you to tilt. But, but what, what's important is that you tilt your torso so that you're, you're actually tilting your torso where your left hip is pushing a little bit toward the target. Now, what this sets you up for is it sets you up for a swing that's going to come more from the inside, that's going to create more power. If you have your shoulders level or, in worst-case scenarios, your right shoulder would be higher than your left, and I have seen that as well with golfers where they, they're tilted the other way, that is going to lead to an extreme over-the-top swing. So the, the, more you, the more you can get that right shoulder down at, at your address position – um, that's, that's going to allow you to come more from the inside. The other thing that's going to help you with this is the width of your stance. If your stance is too wide or too narrow, that's going to affect your shoulder tilt. So, if, for example, if you have your feet too close together, the closer your feet are together, the more level your shoulders are going to be. The more you widen your stance, you're going to naturally start tilting more. So for a driver, that's going to have the most shoulder tilt that you would possibly, you could possibly have off a level lie. Um, and then the putter is going to have the least amount. And if you're a left-hand low putter like Jordan Spieth, your shoulders are going to be level. That's about the only time you'll have your shoulders level uh, on a level lie. Now, obviously, if you're on a downhill lie, things like that, that's different. But on level lies, um, you know, your shoulder tilt will, will be affected by the width of your stance as well. Very important slicers if you're a slicer or your ball starts left uh, look at your shoulder tilt if you can get your proper shoulder tilt uh, that's going to help you come more from the inside and you're going to create more power yeah, well said and and you know the other thing to, to remember is it's something that really is is more natural as you said you know your right hand is lower again we're talking about right-handed golfers uh, than your left hand uh, when you're gripping the club so there's a natural uh, tilt what we often see a lot of amateurs, and I'm sure we can all agree with this, is we see them forcing that tilt. Uh, and, you know, we'll see them almost like slanting, you know, um, you know, to extremely to the right uh, in order to feel like they're getting behind the ball. And that's not good either. So it really has to be a natural. And, and again, it depends and varies 
uh, with the width uh, and the narrowness of your of your stance. So uh, some great points there, John. And, to, and Ted, Ted can I follow up? Can I follow up with one yep. thing? I just want to mention. And when I say tilt, you do not tilt your neck. I, a lot of times when I have right. people tilt, they, they'll tilt their neck and their head, and it's not your neck that you're tilting. You're tilting your torso. So it's a it's it's very difficult um, thing to to you almost have to. A lot of times when I'm working with someone on this, I'm actually putting my hands on them, moving them in the position because it's not a natural. It's because we're all taught in life to stand up straight, shoulders back. You're not doing that in golf. And so sometimes it's going to feel a little awkward at first, but it's going to make a big difference. Yeah, well said. Um, Clint, back to you. This one is from Tommy Fleetwood. And this is one that we've heard uh, talked about a lot over the years, and that is the lag. Uh, if you ever see a lot of the uh, top golfers swing in slow motion, you can see the lag. Um, this is where halfway through the downswing, the shaft is bent. It's almost like it's lagging behind the rotation of the body. Uh, as the player releases uh, the angle and the wrist through impact, the club head rips through the ball with a little extra speed. Talk about the lag, and, and again, this is something that I think uh, a lot of golfers misunderstood, especially our amateurs, and they try to force that. So explain to them really what's happening and what is really meant by the lag. Well, I think you're absolutely right. You see people out trying to, you know, to try to get their body fully turned before the club head ever gets back to the ball, trying to create as much <laughs> lag as possible, you know. So they hear this on the golf channel or wherever they hear it from, we're going to create some lag. I may whiff it, but we're going to have tremendous lag. Um, but <laughs> right. it, it's simply, it, it's simply. I, I guess the, the, I saw the demonstration years ago. It's, it's, it's like where the snap of a bullwhip mm -hmm. comes from the handle being ahead of the end, and then, and then the, the handle stopping and the, it going past it to create the, the snap or the power. And I think that's what we have to keep in mind, that we really don't want to force the lag. A lot of it is in our setup and making sure that we create a complete backswing to get the club. What I see a lot is they try to create lag from a position that they never had it. They never got the club in a position to create it. They never finish their backswing. They don't rotate fully, and they don't get in a position for lag to be able to create. So it, it almost will, will create it based on what you're doing. Uh, and as long as, as you're, you're fully rotating and you're coming on through, you didn't hear a lot of conversation about lag until a number of years ago we started moving into body releasing and, and rotating through mm -hmm. the ball to create power. And if they'll finish their backswing, what we talk as much as anything else, complete your backswing, get in the proper ready position, set position at the top of the swing to create some of these things. It's very similar to we talk about the setup. You can't maintain balance unless you have it. You can't create lag until you get in a position to create it. And then what we try to do is simply to try to get the person to make sure that the shaft of the club gets to the ball, the sensation of the shaft of the club getting to the ball before the club head gets there. If you can get that sensation, you know, you'll get as much lag as your golf swing will create. And I think, again, it goes to what, what I was saying about with the shoulders. Uh, the same thing happens with the lag. You know, people were, were, have been listening for, for years now, 
you know, to maintain that angle, to maintain that wrist angle, to create mm-hmm. that lag. So what a lot of amateurs do is, like you said, they, they rotate through with their body and subconsciously they're, they're holding off the, the club intentionally and then they end up spinning out or, or all kinds of things happen. Yes. And the club head, like you said, is so far behind that by the time they come through impact, the club, the club head's nowhere near the ball. Um, right. And, you know, it, it's almost impossible for it to catch up. So, it, it, again, it's a, it's a natural movement that happens as a result, as you said, being in the right positions, uh, completing the backswing. These things happen. It's not a, um, a conscious thing that you actually have to physically hold the club off. It will do it naturally if you swing it properly, correct. Uh, just as you, you know, demonstrated with the, with the bullwhip. Um, so, you know, this is something that I think, uh, uh, unfortunately, and I, and I blame, uh, you know, I, I blame obviously television and, and some of the – the, the top instructors when they explained it, I think they, you know, I, I think they had the right intention, but I think they confused a lot of golfers um, when when they started really emphasizing things like the leg, because people I think really misunderstood what they were getting at. They were just trying to explain that that leg is is what gives you the power, um, but they were giving the impression, well, I need to maintain it, I need to hold off. And I think people understood that it's a natural movement as a result of, of uh, doing, uh, you know, correctly throughout the golf swing. Um, great, great uh, point, uh, Clint. Thank you. Um, John, back to you. And this one's from um, Justin Rose. Uh, he talks about the weight shift. We talked, I know, a little bit about it before. Uh, you know, getting that shaft leaning forward at impact with your hands ahead of the club head and the club face stable. Uh, isn't as simple as just leaning the shaft forward. It, it actually involves your whole body. Uh, the key is to shift 90% of your weight to your front foot on your downswing. Again, um, depending on which uh, left-handed or right-handed, uh, depending on what your right front foot is going to be. Um, but this is something that I think a lot of amateur golfers don't get either. Is they don't understand that there is a natural weight shift that happens as a result of swinging the club. It's not a forced movement. Touch base on that a little bit too. Yes, there's actually uh, two shifts in, in, in golf. You have a, a shift and then a turn and then a shift and a turn in a, in a golf swing, in a good golf swing. Um, you're, you're, you're moving. So there's a little, a little bit of side to side, a lot of turning going both ways. And the weight shift is, in my opinion, is if, if, you, if you're going to describe the golf swing as a hamburger, the weight shift is the meat. I mean, if you look, you can talk about lag, you can talk about transition, you can all good players shift their weight. They don't stand still. They're not flat-footed. They're shifting and rotating. And that shift and rotation starts with obviously a good setup and a good grip, and we've talked about that. And obviously you have to make a big uh, turn going back, uh, you know, using your upper body uh, to, to create, to kind of wind up. But the weight shift is, is, is so critical. In my opinion, you cannot tell someone to shift their weight. The only way you can learn to shift your weight, you either have it naturally, and some people do, and the people that have it naturally are the people when they were a kid who could pick up a ball and throw it a long way, or they could skip rocks and throw rocks. They were, they were always throwing things. They're always shifting their weight. They're used to doing things that, or you can learn it. And if you don't have a natural weight shift, the only way that, in my opinion, that you can learn it is through drills. And I have a lot of drills out there on YouTube. Uh, they're called the tap and go drill, the transition drill. They're active drills where you're, you're actually stepping into the ball and hitting the ball. And 
that's the way you learn the transition. So for, for people who, like uh, John Daly, who naturally has a transition, uh, you know, just a natural athlete, um, there's also guys out there on tour that maybe are not long hitters, but the trans- people who have the weight shift, they are, they're the ones that hit the ball far. And that's the number one key, um, I think, a big reason why a lot of the players who win out there win on a consistent basis is because the the game is turned into a power game. They really don't care anymore about whether they're in the fairway or the rough. They, it's, if they're hitting it out there far, um, that's what they're, they're after. And, and then they just wedge it on the green and, and go from there. So, um, you know, creating weight shift, in my opinion, is it's a dynamic motion that you can't, you can't read about it. You can't talk about it. It's like me. It'd be like Fred Astaire going up to the average person and trying to talk to them about how to dance. You have to have, you know, the rhythm and the timing and it's an active motion um, in the golf swing. And so the best way to learn this, if you don't have it naturally, and there's a lot of the students who come to me who don't have this naturally, I'm, I'm a big believer in drills. And I know at, at times people don't like doing the drills, but I tell them, if you're going to have a transition, if you're going to learn to shift your weight, you've got to be more active in your golf swing where you, where you actually, uh, you know, if you have to step into the ball or do the tap and go drill, um, you know, some of those other active drills. And there's a lot more out there uh, than those two. Um, then that's how you really are going to create power in your golf swing. Well said. Um, and, and yeah, you, you know, again, everybody, has a different rhythm. Some people have a very natural rhythm. I had a friend of mine years ago. He's uh, no longer with us, but uh, uh, never took a golf lesson in his life, and he could just step up there and you know hit it a mile and dead straight, and just had a natural swing, natural rhythm, uh, and he just shifted his weight beautifully. And it used to make the rest of us sick because we had to do it the old-fashioned way, but actually working for it, it came natural for him. So um, that just sort of uh, helped to prove your point. Um, Clint, uh, this one here, um, I. I I agree a little bit with this one here, but I um, and you'll understand why in a second. Um, this is from Michelle Wee, and she talks about narrow focus. And what she's talking about is focusing on the ball, and uh, what she means is really focusing. Uh, in her case, what she does is address is she picks out a single dimple and uh, doesn't lose sight of it until uh, the golf ball leaves uh, the club face. So in other words, she's eyeballing a dimple, steadies her body, keeping her lower, uh, keeping her lower to the ball, and prevents uh, from her lifting. Uh, her tor- torso through the hitting zone. Um, I don't know about you, but my eyesight's not that great. I don't know if I could focus on a single temple, but I think I get the gist of what she's trying to say. Put it in perspective, if you wouldn't mind, really what she's trying to say here. That was for Clint. Oh, I think Clint, uh, I'm sorry. That looked like we lost Clint. Clint, I don't know, if did you hear that question, or do I need to repeat it? Uh, no, I heard it. Uh, am I with you, Ted? Yeah, you're you're back now. I'm sorry, I didn't realize you had dropped. Okay. Yeah, I, you lost me there for a minute. Yeah, no, I heard I heard the question, and my comment was I can't even see the name on the ball now, much less a dimple. Um, <laughs> but um, you know, I, I guess it, 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 if it, it's it's something for her to focus on to try to solve what she perceives as being the weakness in her swing. Okay, mm-hmm. so if her focusing on that dimple helps her stay down through the ball longer, and they have identified that as being her, her kind of weakness in her swing and the things that creates inconsistency, I don't see anything wrong with that, you know. Um, you know, I tend to, when I putt, I try to see where the ball's sitting. 
I don't focus on the ball. I want to see the spot where the ball was sitting before I look forward. That's just the way I try to stay focused on making a complete stroke. I want to be able to, you know, to, to stroke it, hold my finish, see the spot where the ball was sitting, and then I'll look to see where it's going. So I don't want to call it a crutch. I think it's just something that she's discovered that helps her create a, you know, a more consistent swing and to solve the weakness in her swing. So I really don't see anything wrong with it. I wouldn't teach anybody to do that. But but I, I don't see where it would be a problem for her because it's just something she's discovered that can help her um, with her golf swing. But like I said, I, I, I honestly wouldn't teach a person to be that focused on the dimple on the ball. Uh, I'd prefer them to yeah, be more I, I focused think... on staying balanced and turn on the ball. Yeah. Yeah, and I agree with that. And and you know, I found it when I was reading through a lot of these um before we we came live tonight. I, I looked at that one. That was one that sort of stood out. And I know I've heard a lot of teachers um talk about, you know, for instance when they're when you're using an iron, um not to be focused on the back of the ball, but rather look at the front of the ball uh in order to make sure that you're sort of going through the shot. Um, I've heard you know teachers use that example as, as where to focus, yeah, sure. and, and also sure. uh, the opposite is true uh, when you're using a driver. Uh, in that case, because you're you're it's more of an upswing, um, mm-hmm. you're not hitting down the ball as you are with your irons. Then you know again you're looking more at the back of the ball. Um, so I, you know I've heard those analogies used before, but as I said, it, I think you agree. Uh, I, I'm lucky if I can see whether I'm hitting a Titleist or a Callaway anymore because I can't <laughs> yeah, read it from, from a, uh, no. a dress position, at least yeah. not without my glasses. So just, that, it's hey, just, that's it's another just, story. Yeah, it's just one, of, <laughs> just one of those things that works for her, but maybe not for anybody else. Right, and I, I think I think as long as really the, the, what I took away from it myself is I think you have to be focused to a point, and I think if you if that's a single focus that keeps her balanced and doing what she needs to do as opposed to thinking about all different types of swing moves and swing thoughts uh, and that's just one that sort of keeps her centered and, and yeah. balanced um, then I, I agree yeah, with that perfect. as well um, John yeah, yeah John uh, this one's from Ernie Ells uh, and he talks about the left arm connection uh, the connection between your left arm your grip and your club head uh, that you establish at address uh, isn't just good actually helps you to make a simple uh, backswing without worrying about the uh, swing plane and path what are your thoughts about that? Um, you know, we often hear uh, about maintaining that triangle and particularly, uh, you know, keeping uh, that uh, that arm, that left arm sort of pinned to cover the logo and the shirt. I've heard that used as an example, uh, you know, with your left bicep. What are your thoughts about uh, keeping it connected to your body like that? Um, I, you know, I, I don't uh, teach that. I, I, when I look at a triangle, a triangle has three sides, you know, so I don't, say well we're only going to focus on one side of the triangle it's the whole triangle when i when i teach someone in the takeaway um i agree with him i don't teach swing plane either uh there's there's no such thing as a swing plane that there's a lot of planes in the golf swing there is a path to your golf swing and the path will be determined by a lot of things number one the club that you have a driver path is going to be different than a putter path um, but when I, it, it doesn't matter whether you're hitting a, a, a three foot putt or a 300 yard drive. I want a student to start their, their golf swing with their back and shoulders. I want them to use their back and shoulders. So that's the base of the triangle. Then you have the left arm as a side and the right arm as a side. I don't teach, I would never have people move the sides. I would have them move the base. And so 
if you can learn to move the base, because if the problem is, is if you focus on the left arm, you're going to start manipulating the club face one way or the other. You'll either shut it or you'll fan it open. One of those two things. Very rarely are you going to, um, you know, be able to take it back perfectly and keep it keep the club face from from over exaggerating. So I try to get people to use uh, my students to use their back and shoulders very much like Jack Nicklaus and Ernie Els has got a beautiful golf swing. You know, it's amazing um, when when you're talking about the Michelle Wee and Ernie Els and and a lot of these players. Keep in mind that a lot of these players that you're talking about have God-given abilities. They they're able to do things that the average person just by just because of how they were created um, that are so, um, you know, their rotation and all those things they're able to naturally do. So they don't have to focus on those things. So they can focus on these little minor details uh, like looking at a dimple in the ball or, you know, your left arm keeping it connected to your chest. Whereas if you tell that information to the average golfer, it's going to make them worse. So I agree with Clint in, in that, you know, in, in that regard as well. So I try to get people to, to not focus on one arm. You have two arms. Um, and so I want you to, my students to use their back and shoulders and let, once you turn your back and shoulders, both arms are going to move naturally. So you don't need to focus on the arms, focus on turning the shoulders and the back and you'll, your, your, your swing path will be, will be where where it should be every time. Yeah, I agree. I, and I think I understand what, what Ernie was, was talking about there. I think it's just a matter of being connected so that everything's moving away together. I think that's really um, what a lot of the, the pros that, that use that sort of analogy are really talking about is is to sort of stay connected. But again, you, again, you know, sort of the, I hate to use this expression, but devil's in the details. And I think sometimes that when people hear these explanations, um, that a lot of the pros give, it's not that it's not right or wrong. It's just that sometimes it, it allows the amateur, uh, amateur golfers that don't really understand to focus on, on something specific. And when they get sort of hyper-focused on something, um, whether it be the leg trying to force that move or weight shift, uh, again, trying to force it, um, they're not letting the natural rhythm and movement of their body uh, sort of take over. So you have to be very careful when you're uh, when you're listing things to make sure it's really explained and not necessarily always take it literally. It's just uh, a way of, of helping you to create a feel, if you if you will, in some cases. Um, Clint, the last uh, question of this group here, anyways, is for you, and it's from, uh, or I shouldn't say from, but uh, Jason Day uh, brings this point, and he talks about swinging wide to narrow. Uh, and he states here, uh, wide swings are powerful swings, but simply tracing a wide arc uh, won't help you add speed. The trick to take the club back with your left arm extended and keep the grip as far away from your head as possible, then snap the grip down close to your body at the start of the uh, uh, downswing. Excuse me. So basically what he's saying is to take it back um, uh, with a wide swing arc, and then as you're coming into your downswing, then you're sort of almost like a tucking in, uh, bring it close to to help generate that speed. What are your thoughts here again? Is this something that um, that really people need to focus on, or is it something that should be happening naturally if if everything else is is put into its proper perspective? Wow, that, that's a good one there. Uh, just to kind of tag on a little <laughs> something before we, before we get on this one, is that you have to be yep. very careful, I think, to understand that what what people like Ernie L's or whatever are saying is not necessarily exactly what's happening; it's what it feels like to them. 
So they're describing the feel of their golf swing, not necessarily the technical aspects of it. And and I think that that some of what Jason Day is saying has some of that as well, but we have to keep in mind something here, that the average golfer that we're teaching every day is not anywhere close and as a physical condition as these players are. They're not as Mm -hmm. flexible. They're not as strong. Many times they're not as big, but mainly flexible. You know, a Jason Day can take the club head, maintain control of the center, rotate his body, and extend his left shoulder joint and arm and club extremely wide. Okay? You try to get the average player mm-hmm. to do that, and somebody's going to have to help them up in the morning. They're not going to be able to move because, <laughs> you know, their body is not capable of creating that. So what happens is when they try to do that, if their body and the shoulders particularly are not flexible enough to make that rotation and extension, it's going to, they're going to move sideways. They're going to sway off the ball mm-hmm. without a doubt. Uh, and we've all seen it. Where I'm going to get this real wide arc. I'm going to create all this lag, and all of a sudden the center of their body's moved two feet to the right. Yep. And there's no way they're going to repeat that coming back down. So, again, here I think we have to, to get the – the average golfer to understand we need to be able to do some certain things. We need to be able to move the club properly down the path. As John said, maintain some control of the club face, move your body through the ball. And then your body will dictate how much of these other things you can do. Certainly the further away we can extend the club away from the center of our body on the backswing and bring the tightness back in. That gives us better lag Certainly that's going to generate more speed. That's simple science. The question is is whether the average player can actually accomplish that. And what they do is they go out and waste a lot of time, effort, and money trying to accomplish some of these things to when they need to evaluate what they're capable, what their body will give them, and try to maximize that. If they want to do the things that Jason Day and Ernie Els and all these people do as far as extension, they need to get into a fitness program first. Mm-hmm. Get the body as flexible as they can, and then go in that direction. But but we see so many people on the tee as well as y'all do that are that have um, you know gotten this tip. They're going out. They're taking lessons. They're doing this, and they do misinterpret what's being told. They they miss the point of this is what it feels like. And unfortunately, and fortunately, on on both sides, we all have a video camera in our pocket now. We got little tripods we can set them up on. And we're going to take pictures of me getting this big extension. And when I don't see it, I keep trying. Mm-hmm. Get more and more and more. And it, we're just not going to achieve that. So, we, you know, we, we kind of tend to want to think sometimes you have to just take what you got and make it work today. You know, then if that's not good enough, you got to get yourself ready to be better. And so with that right. tip, I would be a little bit suspect of the average player really being able to do any of that. So I'm not so sure it's a good service for them to leave that as a tip. I I think that there needs to be a little bit more explaining going on with that particular tip. That's just the way I see it. Yeah, it's, um, you know, uh, the other thing too is I think it really comes down to feel and, you know, we see a lot of different drills. For instance, you know, uh, a lot of us have used, um, you know, the, trow- the the towel drill where, you know, you, for mm-hmm. those of you who are not familiar with that, where the towel goes underneath uh, your arms, and it's really to help stay connected. 
And, you know, a lot of people think that they, well, I'll do a full swing with that. And it's not meant to. It's meant to do really, um, uh, you know, not even really a three-quarter. And it's just really to help right. you stay connected. But what I oftentimes I'll see is people will try to, to do a full swing, and instead of actually rotating, they're actually just twisting their torso, and they're snatching that club back in uh, inside so much. And then what I see them doing is when they've removed the towel and they try to do a normal swing, again, they're, they're sort of clenching those arms so tight into their body that they're not actually rotating properly. They're just basically twisting their body. So they're not really, again, they're misunderstanding the purpose of the drill. The drill is just to create a feel uh, and understanding that you want to be, uh, have a, a feeling of connection uh, with your body. And, and so when you're swinging well, the club, everything's sort of turning and connect, you know, together to a certain degree. Right. Well, I think John would agree with this as well. I'll jump back in real quickly. Is not all drills are created equal. I mean, if you're not having mm-hmm. a if you're not having a problem with staying connected and you using that drill, you may be missing the real weak point in your golf swing that you need to be working on. So, right. I I think we have to be real careful that this is not just a big generic drill that we all ought to do. And and I know John does this. Is it's these drills are specific to your particular problem at the time, not just something that everybody ought to use. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, well, you know, it's, it's, uh, that it's been interesting to, when we look at where instruction has, you know, sort of started from and, and how it's sort of, uh, mutated, if you will, for lack of better words, over the years, a lot of changes have happened and we, we've seen, you know, a more modern swing clinch, as you pointed out, compared to what we used to see, um, people like, um, Ben Hogan and, and some others used to do and, and the way the grip has changed. And there's been a lot of uh, changes. Some of it has been a result of technology. Some of it has just been through advancements um, with the, you know, uh, videography and, and so forth, being able to see what actually is going on in biomechanics. And the problem is it, it, it's very, very confusing. And I think the, the, the rule of thumb that I always try to, to look at is and go by is I want the person to swing what's natural for them. I don't want, to, I don't want forced movements. Um, there are certainly things that, that have to be um, consistent. Obviously, um, their address position. But again, if you're dealing with somebody like John that's six foot four, and I'm the same, um, and you're dealing with somebody that's five foot nine, there are going to be differences how they set up to the ball. I mean, certain things are going to look the same, but their knee flex is not going to be as much as somebody that's taller. Um, so there's a lot of different variables. And I think when you try to put everybody in one mold, I think it can sometimes be very, very difficult and confusing because you'll get people that, again, that will force positions in order to feel um, like they have to be like that person that they're watching, uh, you know, on TV, on the PGA Tour or the LPGA Tour, uh, and sometimes taking these drills literally to the point that they're trying to, again, force or mimic certain movements um, when really all the the players just trying to do is, as you said, Clint, was really to describe a feel, um, how they're feeling in the moment and and um, you know maybe uh, you know using some drills to to uh, to help bring that home. But uh, I think it's it's something that that players have to sort of experiment a little bit, and they have to be willing to um, you know think about things. And 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 if you're you know I think one of the biggest problems too, uh, and you guys may have experienced this, I'm sure many many times over the years, is one of the biggest problems with students when they come for a lesson is they don't always ask a lot of questions. You know, they sort of take it as the gospel. You're telling them something, and they nod their head like they understand, but a lot of times they really don't. And, you know, I, I always try to encourage uh, students to say, look, you know, this is something you've explained to me, and um, 
but I don't really understand exactly. So can you, you know, explain a little bit more or show me exactly what you mean? So I think that's something that we have to do as instructors to make sure that we're doing that. Um, any final thoughts before we go, guys? And I'm going to give you a chance just to let the folks know if they want to reach out, how they can go about doing that. Uh, John, uh, do you want to go first? Any final thoughts uh, before we close off the panel? Yes. Um, you know, I, I really enjoyed tonight's discussion uh, because one of the – for all the listeners out there, um, I would suggest that that when you get instruction, try to find yourself a, a qualified PGA golf instructor, someone that you, um, you know, ask friends if you're looking to get in the game or whatever. Don't always listen to um, what better players say they're doing because Clint's exactly right. They're already doing the 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 main fu the reason that they're good is because they have good body dynamics and they have good setups and they have good grips and they can create natural power and then they can get into the minor stuff. Don't focus on all that little minor stuff. Learn the basic stuff and and the best way to do that is to go to someone where you can get objective uh consistent um instruction and get yourself in a lesson plan where you're not going don't expect to do it in one lesson, you know, 5 to 10 lesson plan or something like that and and do it over the summer and that's where you'll see the the improvement occur but if you just take a tip that you read uh or you take a a, a sentence of someone that you've heard on television say that they're working on like tiger woods or whoever's on being interviewed and you go out and try to do it you're you're asking for disaster in my opinion so yeah. i i would definitely encourage that but but ted and clint i've really enjoyed tonight's discussion um it's always good uh, it, for the for the listeners out there, if they want to get in touch with me, um, there's there's several ways. I'm 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 on I'm, I uh, have videos on golfswing.com forward slash John Decker. My my uh, first name is spelled J O N. But I, if you follow, if you're on Facebook, I'm on uh, at John Decker Golf Instruction, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Um, and I and I also do a podcast with uh, Dr. Angelica Napolitano. And it's uh, the Golf Swing RX, the prescription for your game. Uh, and we've had uh, about, I think we've done like 13 or 14 of those. And anywhere you download your your uh, podcast, uh, you can you can uh, find us there. And uh, my book, Golf Is My Life, Glorifying God Through the Game, it's sold on uh, Barnes & Noble websites, Amazon. And I found out this week it's also uh, on uh, Walmart's uh you can download or, or you can purchase it at Walmart as well through uh, walmart.com. So, uh, but again, thanks again, Ted, for all you do for us and uh, allowing us to be on your show. I appreciate it. And congratulations on getting into another uh, avenue with your book. I think uh, that'll uh, open up some uh, even more doors for you as well. And thank you, John, for all that you do. Uh, Clint, what about you? What's, uh, how can the folks reach you and anything uh, particular that you want to uh, to share uh, tonight with uh, with what's going on out in your sure. neck of the woods? Yeah, Eric. You know, it, it's all all good. We're we're going to get through this thing. Um, but John, it's always a pleasure. I mean, you bring some insight that's it, that's quite uh, uh, quite interesting and falls right into what good instructors do. And um, we're in the process of redoing some of our sites, so they can always get me at clintgolf001 at yahoo.com right now is the easiest way to get a hold of me. But let me point out something to the listeners. I said that I always encouraged my students to pair it back said. Is it said. You know, 
if you're taking a lesson, take the instructor's time so that let me tell you what I heard you say. Just to verify mm-hmm. now, most of us has been at this for a, while, a time or have had communications improvements over the years. We've gotten better at communicating our ideas. We understand it, but sometimes some of the, the the instructors may not, but you're doing them a service by saying, now just let me tell you what I heard you say. And that way y'all can, st- you and the instructor, your teacher, can stay on the same page as far as your long-term genuine improvement in what you're trying to do. And John's absolutely correct. It's not a one-time deal. This is a, a long learning process. So you want to make sure that when you're working with a teacher that you intend to work with for a period of time, you don't want any confusion on what they're trying to teach you. So I encourage you to pair it back to them what you're working on and what you think you heard them say to make sure that they're on the same page. And, Ted, just as always, we do appreciate you letting us participate. I mean, this is an ego builder if there ever was one, and we <laughs> we certainly we, we, we certainly love to be able to participate with you every time. Thank you. <laughs> is it is that for me or for you? <laughs> or oh, for both. both of us. I mean, what the heck, you know? You know, we'll share a little, we'll share it a little bit. I appreciate yeah, it. So well, guys, as always, you're th- yeah, thank you very much, guys, for um, always bringing your best onto the panel discussions and uh, uh, some definitely some some good words of wisdom for everybody to uh, to listen to. So thank you, and I look forward to you guys next time. All right, take care and have All a good right, weekend. You. Stay safe. Take care, John. We'll see you, Ted. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, Plant. Thanks, Ted. All right. That was uh, my guest panelists on Coach's Corner, John Decker and Clint Wright, uh, both a couple of uh, great PGA professionals and uh, definitely some words of, of wisdom, if you will. All right. I'm going to introduce, because uh, I see they're, they're both ready, I'm going to introduce my, uh, my special guests this evening. I'm going to tell you a little bit about them and uh, just a little bit about uh, what we're going to talk about, and then I will bring them on live. Um, these two gentlemen actually met uh, this January at the PGA Merchandising Show uh, a few months ago, and uh, they have a very interesting product um, and some other things that are going on here more recently, and we're going to talk about that tonight. And first one uh, is Ted Keston. He is uh, one of the founders of Ranger Ready Repellent. Uh, he has, for 30 years uh, of experience in the fragrance and flavor industry, where uh, his companies have successfully commercialized scents and flavors for millions of consumers to enjoy. Uh, Ted's expertise in scent design, compounding, and supplying chain profitability is what drives uh, their belief that uh, they can continue to make great product and ask for a premium price. Uh, He earned his bachelor's uh, at Emory uh, University and his uh, MBA in finance from Stern School of Business in New York uh, University. Uh, And also joining him is Chris Fuentes, who is the co-founder as well. Uh, And uh, he was raised during the Cold War in Germany, where his father served uh, to protect American interests. Uh, his extensive experience as a lifestyle brand marketer uh, is a catalyst behind Ranger Ready's strategy, uh, strategy excuse me, in uh, consumer-inspired products. Uh, his career started on the professional tennis circuit, working with great uh, brands like Adidas, Nike, uh, and uh, Head uh, to win in tennis. Uh, his career turned to media marketing, where he spent seven years working on international editions of Time and the emerging powerhouse people. Uh, March, uh, much of Chris's understanding of how to build better products and brands came from 14 years as a marketer at VF Corporation. And uh, I'm going to tell you just a little bit uh, about Ranger Ready, and then I'll bring the guys on. They created Ranger Ready uh, repellents after the lives of their families were uh, forever changed by Lyme disease, as more and more family and friends were being affected. 
the reali realization of global warming was increasing the spread of, of ticks and mosquitoes. Um, we knew that uh, they needed to create something that would protect future generations from the long-term il illnesses associated with ticks and insects. So I'm going to let them talk a little bit more about that, um, but please welcome uh, my very special guest this evening, uh, Ted Keston and Chris Fuentes. Good evening, guys, and welcome to Golf Talk Live. Thanks, Chris. This is Ted. I'm sorry. Thanks, Ted. This is Ted. <laughs> Chris is also on the line. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Well, we've had too Chris, many how are you in the doing? business, including Teddy. I'm doing I know. well. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, Teddy helped uh, uh, put this together uh, down at the show, and, and actually um, she was uh, listening to me speak with, with somebody else that, that shared an interest and uh, thought that this would be a good opportunity for you guys to, to come on. So let me let me sort of backpedal a little bit um, and maybe just give a little background on how the two of you met uh, and then how did sort of Ranger Ready sort of come to fruition uh, as a result of that. Uh, why don't we start with you, Ted, and then, and then Chris, um, um, you can add in uh, as well. Okay, so briefly, uh, being in the fragrance industry, I was uh, very involved in developing fragrance candles for many, many years. So we knew a little bit about the candle manufacturing process, um, and through various contacts, I've been exposed to the insect, insecticide industry. And when the um, opportunity arose that we, we were speaking with some companies, particularly a company in, in the Midwest and the U.S. that um, was making pyrethroids and pyrethrins from uh, chrysanthemum plants, <clears throat> they had a byproduct, and we tried to make a candle with it. And unfortunately, we ran into the stiff regulations in America. So um, the project of making an, a, a proper insect repellent via a candle died. Um, and then good, my good fortune was to meet Chris at about that time, and we started talking about alternatives. So we became aware of a product that's been widely used in Europe for 30 years. The active ingredient is called picaridin. And at a 20% concentration, the product lasts for 12 hours and is extremely effective against both ticks and mosquitoes and about four or five other uh, biting insects. So um, I'm a product guy, so I, I, I run factories. I ran factories in five different countries. Um, Chris is a marketer, and it was a really a good opportunity, I think, for both of us to join forces at a moment when Chris was uh, making a change as well. And that's how it kind of started. Chris? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, three years goes by quickly, as they say. And I was listening to your show earlier on, you know, how technical golf is, and, and launching a brand is very technical. Mm -hmm. And we spent the last three mm -hmm. years kind of getting ready for this moment to launch a brand into um, what we recognized was a world of, of um, growing diseases of Lyme disease and other things. And we just kind of felt like it was a good, a good opportunity to join kind of marketing and product. And we, we saw this better ingredient in Europe that was being used widely. And we said, this is it. This is a good opportunity for us. So that's how the partnership got, was born uh, just three years ago. And, and Chris, let me ask you something uh, just a little bit because, again, as I was reading, um, you know, in, in through your bios, Nat, I, I mentioned the fact that, um, you know, about Lyme disease. And for, for the listeners out there that maybe are not, um, you know, for those of, of us that have been around for a little while, 
we may be more familiar, but for some of our younger listeners that maybe aren't sure what Lyme disease is and, and sort of how it's caused and, and why it is something to be concerned about, um, maybe you can touch a little bit on that, Chris. And then again, Ted, if you want to add into uh, the discussion as well. Sure. Well, we, we, we don't have enough time in the show. And uh, that's kind of the beginning of that discussion. And it's, it's, it's really simple math. Um, 400,000 people a year last year and probably this year will probably be more will be bitten by ticks and they cause Lyme disease. Right. And Lyme disease is kind of a moniker for 16 different vector-borne diseases and ticks that include much more severe d- diseases than Lyme disease and Powassan virus and, and viruses that are similar, you know, in, in, in their veracity is, is what we're experiencing today. So we've been, we've been kind of understanding that about a half a million people in the United States will be bitten by ticks and about a hundred thousand of those 20%, a little bit more will, will be, will be um, affected long-term by, by tick-borne diseases. So we kind of thought this is not a good path to be on. And that's kind of the beginning of the journey that we started, which was, um, and, and that's why golf is so important to us as a, as a, as a sport, because it, mm-hmm. golfers are susceptible like gardeners, frankly. And we, we talk about gardening right. being a high contact sport. Golf is a high contact sport with ticks. And we, we've, we've learned a lot about how ticks, how they, how they rest and how they want to bite people and how they, how they grow and how they're, how they're susceptible to weather and how they're carried by birds and by, by, by other species. And what we realized was um, it's a bigger problem than we all realize. And I know the problem we're facing today is much bigger than what we saw. Sure. We could all forecast, but, but, you know, uh, ticks and Lyme disease are a real, real issue for folks who are out playing golf every day and actually being outside every day. And, and that's what we, that's where we focus our energy. I mean, if I could just yeah. you know, link it sure. to golf Go for, for a moment. I think a lot of the modern course design is starting to increase the use of fescue and longer grass for obvious reasons. Right. It's, it doesn't require maintenance. It's more natural, if you will. No, no chemicals are applied to that area. And that becomes uh, a place for our balls to get uh, to visit. And that becomes a place mm-hmm. where people start walking through. And it's not just the players. It's the caddies. It's, it's occasionally the maintenance staff as well who are brushing by it when they're gardening around the, the fescue. That is where animals live, and that is where ticks live. Because ticks are not just on right. deer. I mean, people associate Lyme disease with deer for some reason. But, in fact, it's right. all the mammals. It's, it's mice. It's rats. It's squirrels. It's, it's even songbirds that carry the, uh, the tick that, that has the, the, the disease in it all over the country. And it's become a, a real issue. I know personally I won't go out on the golf course without using – and I play a lot of golf. <laughs> I, uh, right. I, my, my range already is in my bathroom, and I apply it before I get mm-hmm. dressed. And I do it religiously. <clears throat> well, and, and you know, you, you, Ted, you bring up a, a really uh, a great point um, – because, you know, when, when we go to the golf course, we've gotten used to, you know, we've been told about putting on uh, sunscreen and, you know, prevented from U, UV rays and all of this other stuff to make sure you're, you know, you're lathering up with this. But you, you don't really think about, a lot of people don't think about protecting against other issues in the environment like ticks and, and, and mosquitoes and so forth. And uh, so we don't think about stuff like that. And I, I think one of the things, um, and Ted, I'm going to let you start this time and, or, or either one, whichever wants to, to chime in. Um, and I know you touched on it a little bit before, but what particularly makes your product unique? I mean, obviously there are other products on the market. 
um, that are very, very similar in the sense that they, you know, claim to do this or do that. But you guys have, have made a point of, of putting together a product um, that's uh, much more unique than what else is on the market. So talk a little bit, maybe explain a little further detail um, sure. why it is more unique and why it's a better overall product um, environmentally. I just want to I just want to emphasize one additional point, which you mentioned mosquitoes, and I'm not sure mm-hmm. everyone in America recognizes that mosquitoes carry disease as well. They are very right. very very. Uh, in fact, the number one killer of mankind is uh, a disease de- delivered by a mosquito, which is malaria. Uh, today, dengue mm-hmm. fever infects literally millions of people every year in in Southeast Asia, and unfortunately, it's been detected in in Florida as well. So, mosquitoes right. are a problem. Standing water anywhere on a golf course is a breeding ground for mosquitoes, and so it's not just about being a, being the nuisance of noceums and gnats. It's a it's a it's a serious mm-hmm. disease issue and health concern for like for the entire country. So coming back to why right. why why range already why is picaridin twenty percent the way we prepare it better? Um, we looked at what was going on, and we saw that um, the use of insect repellent and the sales of insect re- repellent were growing at a compounded annual rate of over 7% per year. Yet, the incidence of disease was growing at over 20% per year. So something wasn't adding right. up. Products being used, being purchased, but not being used correctly. And it's all about DEET. DEET dominates our market, and, it's not, and no one likes using it. It's greasy. It smells. Right. It's a plasticizer. They spray it on their shoes, and they go out. And that's generally, it's just not the way it's been designed to be used. It, it needs to be put on your skin. Right. Yet no one wants to put it on their skin. So our, our, our task was to create a better experience. So we created four fragrances. We created a, a, a trigger pump and a, and, a, and a normal press pump, a trigger spray and a press spray. Um, we have fully recyclable packaging. And we and these pumps will, will pump upside down so you can get the back of your leg and the back of your neck. Um, we think it's an easier exercise. We're not using aerosols. We're not spraying isobutane on our skin. We're, we're, we're putting on a useful product that has a, a, a nice scent that will disappear relatively quickly. And if you don't want any scent at all, we have Scent Zero. So it, it's an effective, I mean, and as I said, Picaridin works better than DEET. And it's safer for you. It's not a neurotoxin. It's um, it's not a plasticizer. It's not going to damage your gear. It's um, not going to ruin the, the the grips on your golf clubs. It's not going to ruin your shirt. It's a proper product. It's it's made with better ingredients, and it works. I mean, it truly does work. You know, and yeah, that's funny. Interesting. On a, yeah, go ahead, Chris. Please. Go ahead. No, go ahead, Ted. Go ahead. No. All I was going to say is, well, you know, you, Ted, you you raised a really interesting uh, point, and that is. You know, a lot of the other products on the market, they are very greasy. Um, a lot of people don't, as I said, use it as, as they should be using it. They don't want to put it on their skin um, because it doesn't feel good, number one. But also they're concerned with some of the chemicals that are being used in it and, and their toxicity. So um, a lot of people, I mean, they're already putting other products on there and think, well, I don't want to put this on there too because that's going to make it worse. Um, so they, they don't use it properly, and they're afraid because it's, again, um, some of the chemicals that are going into some of these products, um, you know, they've heard and read um, some of the issues with it. So um, that's an important thing, especially in this day and age. Um, that was all I just wanted to point out. Um, Chris, please go ahead. Well, I mean, your point's exactly right, Ted and Ted, um, which is um, 
people don't want, they want better ingredients. They want stuff to perform. And, and, and DEET, which is the active ingredient, which is widely used for insect repellent in the United States, was developed by the United States military in the 40s. And it, it's, it's pretty mm-hmm. toxic. And, and, you know, we're working with the military, for example, right now, because the guys who spray DEET on their scopes, and the scopes are, you know, right. $6,000 now, they're gone, or their iPhone watches or their iPhones. And, if, you know, if guys putting bug, bug spray on himself in the field, and he sprays your iPhone, it's gone. And so, you know, th- th- yeah. that kind of transition away from we don't have to do that or satisficing, which is, you know, I need to protect myself from the ticks and mosquitoes, but I'm going to satisfy by spraying oily stuff on myself. On myself. That's kind of the, the next generation of product that we developed, and it's been around for 30 years, so it's not something that we it's, – it's been actively used by the World Health Organization, and picaridin is a, is a really safe ingredient, and that's, that's why we brought it to market in the United States. It's been here for 15 years, and it's just been under-marketed, and we, we realize that people, mm-hmm. especially moms and especially people who are professionals who have to use the product yeah. every day, you know, the tour caddies on the pro, pro tour – they used over a thousand mm-hmm. bottles of our product last year. They, you know, many of the caddies tour, on the tour use our product because it doesn't ruin their grips. It doesn't ruin their golf clubs. They, it does, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the golfers, they use a lot of synthetic material. If you spray DEET on your shirt and I don't, yep. Nike, Under Armour, you can name all the brands. They're all the same. If they have synthetic material in it, it will just eat it up and literally, you know, kind of three washes, you're done. And many of the caddies came back and said, you know, my shirts or the golfers were saying my shirts are completely ruined by DEET. And we said, well, just use our product. And they came back and said, I can keep my shirt for, you know, for the whole season. That's a difference right. that makes it. And that, that experience is something that we realized was. And, and the difference between actually putting the bug spray on and actually not using it is saving your life. Because you really do need to put bug spray on if you're going to be a, if you're going to be a golfer, a regular golfer. You need to put buck spray on every day before you go out and play golf. Yeah, well said. Um, I, I know here, you know, being in Florida, I mean, we have, um, you know, probably more insects than I've ever seen in, my, in a lifetime. And I, I know that that uh, you know, uh, Ranger Ready may not be designed specifically to get rid of some of them, but you're exactly right. When you're out on the golf course, and Ted, as you pointed out, when you're playing a lot of golf. Um, you need that protection, not just from the sun, but you need protection from, uh, you know, other things in the environment like insects, because um, not just because they, they can be a nuisance and an inconvenience, you know, when you're standing over your ball and, and something's buzzing around you, um, but also because they carry a, a lot of disease. And, you know, people get sick and, and whatnot uh, for various reasons. Um, and that's just one more. And, and obviously, you guys uh, are very passionate about uh, this particular product and, and what it's been able to do. Um, and so, the fact he wanted to make sure also that it's safe for, for uh, consumer use, and, and that's obviously important as well. Mm-hmm. Um, what, from a, from a what, technical sorry, point of view, I just, I just wanted to highlight a point for you just to give you an idea mm-hmm. of, of why the product is, continue, you know, is safe. You need to apply mm-hmm. sunscreen every, every 90 minutes. I know every brand says the same thing. Put it on every 90 minutes. Right. What your viewers may not know, it's not because the sun's baking it off. It's because your skin is absorbing it, which is what your skin does. Our product goes on your skin and stays for 12 hours. So we don't need to put Mm -hmm. nearly as much, you know, as compared certainly to sunscreen, but also as compared to DEET. 20% 
uh, application of picaridin lasts for 12 hours versus a 30% application of DEET. So, and when you, you know, it, it's a big difference. The first person who joined our, our group was a dermatologist. Once he learned about the technical specs of this product, he says, okay, I'm in. I'll, I will be your spokesperson. So, you know, I was, I was heartened by that. I really was. Well, and that says a lot, too, because obviously, you know, their professional reputation, um, mm -hmm. you know, they have to be mindful of that. They, they don't want to be out. I mean, you know, we always see people promoting products and we understand um, how that works. But uh, again, when you're when you're somebody that's in the medical profession like that, you don't want to, you know, put your name to a product that is harmful um, to people because that doesn't look good for you and, it, and it's not helping the product at all. And I think in this day and age, guys, I think this is something that people are becoming, uh, I mean, we're still kind of slow to, to get off the ground at times, but we're becoming more and more uh, conscious of our environment and, what's, and what we're putting into it. And, um, you know, we, for years we've, we've talked about aerosol products and that, how harmful they've been, and so we've made changes there, and then we've talked about other things. And, you know, this is an area, obviously, that you guys have recognized that, um, for years, and and this is no fault to people that have developed some of the other products uh, earlier on, um, but they did what they thought was uh, was right. But you know, as we progress as as a society, we're learning that some of these things that we thought once were were good for us and were helpful are actually more harmful. So we we've always got to kind of be moving forward. And I like the fact that you guys, uh, even though anybody can use this product, I like the fact that you guys have sort of tied it to. Uh, the golf industry, much like people that garden and, and landscapers and things like that that are outside all the time, um, these are the people that really need to be conscious of it, as you said, you know, in the golf course uh, for several hours. Um, so well, I, I, I appreciate I, that. Know, Ted, I think one Go of ahead. the things that, you know, it, Ted, Ted and I are in our 60s and we're, get, you know, thinking about retirement. We play more golf. We're gardening. We're outside more. We're doing more projects, which – I'm not sure it's a good idea, but we're, we're trying to do them. And we realize that, you know, um, it, as you're outdoors and you can be bitten by a mosquito, but you're also, you know, you're brushing the stuff away and you, it's pretty easy to get bitten by a tick. And we know from research yep. that most people are bitten by a tick one mile from their house. You know, it's usually at their golf course or when they're taking their dog for a walk. It's, it's, it's a local thing. And, and what we want to do is we want to get people to understand that, if you are going to go out and be in, in the environment outside, just wear repellent. It's pretty simple. It's a, just a simple yeah. ingredient. And, and you can play a great round of golf. And we talk about things you can do as a golfer. The first thing is um, put, put it on in the locker room. Don't go out and play. Don't even go to the practice range. Don't even get warmed up before you put repellent on. Because you can be down on the 13th hole where that, you know, that deep in the valley down there, where it's, it, the whole golf course is not full of mosquitoes, but that one little corner has got plenty of mosquitoes or ticks, and you can be bitten. And one of the things we recommend is a lot of folks, you know, they go to the clubhouse after and they have the 19th hole and they'll have a drink and they'll sit down. That's a perfect time for a tick to crawl up your leg and bite you. So go take a yep. shower before you go to the clubhouse. Go literally take your clothes off, jump in the shower, check yourself out, throw your clothes in a plastic bag, and when you come home, put it in the dryer. It, it's just a routine. And if you do that regularly, you're just probably not going to be bitten by a tick, and you're not going to wake up in the middle of the night saying, what's that on my neck? And that's the point, right. is, is you can avoid all of this by just being kind of a cautious golfer, if, if that's the right term. 
And and mm-hmm. I, I would give up the dollar fifty or my stroke, my penalty stroke or my handicap to not go into fescue. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Pretty yeah. simple. It's pretty <laughs> simple. Yeah. You know. Well, and 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 guys, the other yeah, the other thing too, um, you know, we see, and as you pointed out, especially here, like I mean, it it is all over, but especially here in, in the southeast and that in Florida and and some of the other uh, states like Mississippi and Louisiana. Um, mm-hmm. where you have a lot of swampy water around, and, of course, they've built golf courses through it, so they have a lot of natural um, bodies of water that are stagnant, um, which is just a breeding ground for a lot of these different insects. And, um, you know, you, you think it looks beautiful, and you're out there walking, and, and it's just very scenic, but behind the bushes, so to speak, for lack of better words, uh, there's a lot of, uh, you know, little demons that are crawling around that, that can be very uh, quite harmful to the body. So, uh, being prepared is is uh, you're exactly right. It doesn't take any time to uh, to you know apply this on. And I think I really like the fact. And I think going back to what I said earlier, this is probably one of the reasons why a lot of people avoid it is because many other products or most of the other products on the market actually have a very um, unpleasant smell. People can tell you put on a bug spray and they're just not very so they don't want to do it or it doesn't feel good. I like the fact that you you know not only offer some scented uh, uh, product but you also offer no scent. So when people go out, you know, everybody's not looking at them saying he's wearing bug spray or so forth. So they're not, they're not you know, sort of getting wind of that. Um, my other question I have for you guys is as far as commercial applications. And what I mean by that is, you know, obviously you have these great products uh, for consumers, uh, whether they're playing golf or, or doing other outdoor t- activities. Um, but do you also have or are you planning on any sort of commercial applications, um, a lot of, you know, golf courses and whatnot and other areas are, are spraying uh, to control insects. Is there an opportunity uh, to delve into that market as well, or is that something you're going to stay away from? That's for either uh, one. Ted, Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, it, it's not an area that we're pursuing. Um, it's, you know, you're, you're having to spray insecticide generally. So it's, um, basically it's an environmental thing. I'm not sure we want to add that to the environment. Um, you know, insects do play a role in, in nature generally, and I think just keeping them away sure. from us is a better plan than trying to eradicate right. them. Okay. Um, you know, literally millions of species have died already. So right. uh, that's kind of where we're at. Yeah, I mean, our, our platform is around is around being conscious of the earth, and so one of the things we want to do is repel insects. Mm-hmm. Um, we've developed right. a product that is uh, you can spray on your clothing. And it's a common product called uh, permethrin, and it's a very low percentage. You can spray it on your clothing, and it gives you 30-day protection from ticks and mosquitoes through five washes. So it's a pretty simple product. So if you if you if you take your golf clothing and spray permethrin, and then you use um, picaridin on your on your body as body-worn repellent, there's a really really small chance you're going to be bitten by a tick or a mosquito. And I think that's kind of what we're trying to say is. You don't have to spray the golf course. It's it's really hard to spray 15 acres of product sure. of, of 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 land and eradicate. And I think Ted's point is right. You can't really eradicate anything. We just want to push them away from us a little bit. And if right. you use the right body worn repellents, if you re, if you use um, clothing worn repellents, and if you use sunscreen, you're going to be fine on the golf course. You can play as much golf as you want and enjoy the enjoy the game. And that's what we're trying to say is is you don't have to really kind of impact the environment. You have to kind of look after mm-hmm. it as a personal protective measure. Look after yourself. 
and spray yourself and look after yourself and you won't be bitten by a tick or a mosquito and you can go on and play as much golf as you want, as good as, as bad as you play. <laughs> well, and, and that, as an yeah, interesting that's segue, a, yeah. if I, I could just say, you know, <laughs> that is our repellent industry, our, our repellent business without a doubt. But we have made a recent pivot to uh, selling hand sanitizer mm-hmm. in case any of your uh, listening audience is interested. So, in, and, in, and in that particular situation, we don't repel. We do eliminate the, uh, the viruses and bacteria. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Well, we're going to talk about that uh, um, here. I, I know that you've done that, um, and we'll get into a little bit more. Um, let me just, just one final thing, uh, just to, to comment about the repellent side. Um, one of the things that, um, you know, Chris, that you pointed out, and, and I agree with that, I, I simply asked the, the question about commercial application, if this was something that you were, uh, you know, going to be working towards, but I, I agree with you. I, I think that the trick is we don't want to uh, have something that's going to impact the environment. We just, you know, the, many of these insects are, are pests and uh, can be annoying when you're, you're out there playing and, and, and doing outdoor activities, particularly golf. Um, so you want just something to sort of keep them away, but you're not looking to do harm or, or uh, you know, wipe out a, a, a species or something like that. So I, I agree yeah. with you. I think that's a, a smart thing, and I think it's a great well, one. It, uh, I think that's why, why I like your product even more is the fact that you're not looking to impact the uh, env- environment per se. You're looking to, to sort of make it a little bit more tolerable in certain situations. Uh, go ahead. Well, I think one of the number one one of the number one issues is what bugs you most as a golfer. So we went to the PGA show. And we've been, this is our second PGA show, but we talked to hundreds of golfers and every guy comes up to us and says the same thing. He says, the, the mosquitoes and gnats and flies in my golf course are the worst everywhere. We say, okay, great. Mm -hmm. And they all say the same thing, which is something specifically bugs me. And your, your listeners know this, that these guys who have to wear, they wear fly strips on their hats. They do everything they can not to be bugged (laughs) by mosquitoes and gnats and buffalo gnats. And especially in Florida. Because Florida's got some yeah. really nasty, nasty buffalo. Oh nuts. yeah, they're yeah. terrible. And you yeah. know what we realized is if you put Ranger Ready on your hat and you put Ranger Ready on your body, they don't bother you. So we kind of call it of a. I'm not going to call it a five-stroke advantage, but maybe a little-stroke advantage, which is you don't have to <laughs> yep. worry about the bugs. And that's the story, you know. Well, yeah, you know, it, it, confidence true. That's over what... the ball is everything, and and, and there is some uh, <laughs> some science to the idea that people, you know, there are people who walk around and say I don't get bitten by bugs, and they actually don't get bitten by bugs. <laughs> so exactly, you know, well, you have the confidence you're not yeah, going to get bit, they stay away. Right, right, and that's the thing is, as I was, you know, pointing out uh, earlier, is and especially in an area like Florida or, or some of the other areas in in the southeast that I mentioned. This is, is a, by far a big problem, and you know people don't realize that certain times of the year it's a little better than others. But yeah, when the gnats start coming out, and and then you got the mosquitoes rolling off of some of these wetlands, uh, it, it's unbearable, especially certain times of the day. Um, and, and you know you're out there and you're trying to enjoy it, and you're swatting and you know trying to shoo them all away, and and uh, you you want to have something that that's exactly. you know going to alleviate that. But again, you're not looking to impact the environment with something negative which a lot of these other products mm-hmm. I, I know do. So that's one of the things I really appreciate, um, you know, from your perspective as, as you're, you're trying to be conscious of that as well and, and coming up with something that's not uh, harmful but at the same time is, is getting results. So I want to go back to what you mentioned a moment ago uh, about the hand sanitizers. Obviously, you know, we're all going through this, uh, you know, this difficult uh, time in, in, in our history with, with this pandemic, uh, and it's a global pandemic. It's not just unique to any one area. 
and uh, you know a lot of companies have have decided to to make some changes uh, in the interim to to help out and do some things, and you guys have uh, done just that with with the hand sanitizer. So, uh, just walk me through, and again, whoever wants to start off first, and the other can can add in. Um, what was sort of the thought process? Was this something that came relatively quickly, or was this something that you had kind of in the back of your mind had been thinking about um, adding to your your product line, and it just happened to be coincidental that it came out at this time, or, or what was the thought process? Well, I'll I'll jump in. You know, it it it, okay. it began um, it began um, three years ago when we said we're going to build Ranger Ready, and we said um, protection and what is protection? And we actually didn't know. We we thought it was sunscreen. We thought it was hand sanitizer. We thought it was repellent, and we were trying to build um, an opportunity around a, a brand. And we had no idea about COVID at this at that point, and we sure. did have hand sanitizers in our in our plan, and um, it, it honest to be it was uh, beginning of March, and and we sat as as uh, as a team and said, it looks like we're going to have to close our 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 kind of normal office down, and everybody's going to work from home, and we we could see all the health warnings from China, we saw the CDC, and we saw all the, right. the warnings from Europe, and we we were ahead of it by a long shot. And we realized at that mm-hmm. point, we're going to send everybody home. And um, the first week we worked from home, we kind of sat around and thought, you know, we have to kind of figure out how to be a better bug spray company. And then on the Sunday of March 14th, we thought, how can we be a better hand sanitizer company? And, you know, looking to build PPE and build the, you know, the ability to kind of bring the right thing that we were doing, which is protecting people from disease. We thought we can do the same with hand sanitizer and we actually did it. And uh, our, our, our idea was built over basically five or six days. And we created a, a hand sanitizer that was approved by the FDA and ready to go to market. And we brought it to market in under a month. Wow. Actually probably the, the of all the things we've done as a team and over the three years, mm-hmm. it was the, the, the thing that kind of marked our kind of change as a company. Well, and and uh, Ted, go ahead. Sorry if you want to add to uh, no. What I, said. I, what the the incredible demand. I'm sure you're aware, but the the mm-hmm. um, people are, are are just searching for this for these types of products. So we were fortunate that we had some raw material inventory that we could repurpose in the in the, in the form of bottles and spray spray heads and. Um, and a very, very good partner who could um, open up an FDA-approved line for us and, and, and run the product. We ran 55,000 bottles uh, our first run, and I, I, don't, I think we have 1,000 bottles left, and we received the product mm. 11 days ago. <laughs> so it, wow. it's just, yeah, wow. uh, it's spectacularly in demand. And the only reason we're not still running is because it's, now it's very hard to get the bits and pieces. So um, sure. we will have another run in the middle of May, and I think once a month we'll be able to um, continue to make product. But it's it's shocking out there, and obviously everyone's life yeah. has been impacted by this. And generally we feel like behavior will change, and we mm-hmm. hope that we can assist in making people feel a little bit more confident about going about their daily tasks. Um, I mean, for me personally, the product sits in my, my, in my automobile, if and when I get out of the car, mm-hmm. I put I put it on my on the driver's seat, 
so that when I come back to the car, it's not muscle memory yet, you know, to put hand sanitizer on. Right. And so, you know, it's, but it's, right. there it is. It's in my way. So now I put it on, and then I, then I put it back. Yeah. So <laughs> it, it's, uh, you know, as, as Chris said, we're in our 60s. So we we got we to gotta do the right. memory hooks <laughs> to make sure we behave correctly. <laughs> Well, I'm I'm just a few years behind you, so yeah, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. I'm I'm heading that way real fast myself. So, um, but you know, I, I think it's really interesting. Um, you know, obviously this is something that you you had thought about for a few years, and and um, you know, obviously we didn't know what was you know we didn't have the the foresight of knowing what was coming down the pike. Um, but obviously it was is was very good timing in a sense that it allowed you to um, you know come to market a little quicker than maybe what you originally had planned. Um, where do you see things as far now, obviously now that you've, you've got it um, uh, on market, it's been approved by the FDA. Um, is this something that's now going to become permanent uh, part of your, your product line? It, it is. I, I, as we grow the company and, and we've learned um, that um, protection is protection whether it's from viruses caused by ticks or mosquitoes or protection from human to human. And we're trying, we're, we're trying to kind of learn that vernacular, if you will, the language. And mm-hmm. we've, we've now shipped thousands of orders and talked to consumers. And we've kind of learned what people are, are trying to achieve, which is they want to protect themselves. And hand sanitizer is a good, convenient way to do that. And it's interesting because it's it's about sleepy industries. You know, if you, if you think about repellents, you know, repellents have been going along for, 50 years, 60 years, kind of the same way. Right. And hand sanitizers, hand sanitizers have been doing the same things. And we, we talked to investors today and, and we had a discussion with one of our investors and we talked about the change in the world. And, you know, mm-hmm. uh, an average, in an average month, a hand sanitizer is Googled 40,000 times a month. That's a very small number in the yep. world of Google. And in February, it was Googled 450,000 times a month. That's a, that's a little bigger number, but not that big. In March, it was Googled 40.8 million times. Wow. And it's, a, it's just, it's, as a researcher and marketers and scientists and, and doing what we do, that number doesn't kind of compute. And we follow Google. Uh-huh. We use Google as a, as a you know, pretty big vector of where we want to go and what we want to do as our, as our marketing. And that those kind of changes are, are abnormal. And what we're trying to figure out is how to, how to kind of find what the new normal is. We don't pick up the flagstick at the hole. We don't touch things on the golf cart and every cart is sprayed down. And, you know, it, as we play around the golf, what are the places where we can touch things? We deliver to golf courses, giant bottles of hand sanitizer. These are, Big mm-hmm. bottles. These are you can you can spray down a small kid, you know, and knock them down. And and, and you know, as you kind of think about those things, you're, you're kind of thinking about, well, I'm going to play golf, but I'm going to be clean about playing golf. And right, it's an, it's an interesting concept as we kind of transition that into, okay, I'm going to play around the golf, but I'm going to spray the machine when I put the credit card in, and I'm going to go to. It's it's a lot of different components. So we're trying to figure out how to how to make. Um, everyday life a little more acceptable and our products are about you know um, a better hand a better bug spray and also a better hand sanitizer and kind of making you play golf and enjoy your life a little better and if we can get to that point and we're still working on it that's the goal yeah I I think you're you're exactly right and just to to go back to what you you said a few moments ago you know with a lot of industries that that 
you know, have been doing this for, you know, 50 or, or more years, I think the problem with a lot of industries is they, they kind of go with the status, um, you know, quo, if you will. In other words, they, they kind of stagnate in, in, you know, as long as it's working, don't, you know, don't, as long as it's not broke, don't fix it. And I think the problem with that is there are so many changes that are happening, not only in the environment, but just in, in everyday life. And, and you're right. I think we are going to see some changes. Are there going to be, um, you know, huge drastic changes right away? No, but you may see things, you know, we already got, um, different ways of paying, you know, uh, Apple Pay and, and others where you're not even swiping your card exactly. anymore. You're just, you know, holding it up. So I, I see a lot of uh, uh, banks and, and, and other big industry players like that um, even jumping faster on the bandwagon to have that type of uh, setup where people aren't, you know, handing their credit cards to people and, and you know, that sort of thing. Um, because we can't all walk around for the rest of our lives with, um, with latex gloves on and, and hand sanitizer uh, constantly. Yeah. So there are going to be, have to be some societal changes. But it's good to know that companies like yourself and, and guys like yourself um, are really paying attention to consumers because that's, that's critical for any company. I don't care who it is. You have to pay to, uh, particular attention to consumers and what their needs are uh, because they're changing all the time, especially in this day and age. Um, it, and, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I, I was going to no, say I'm, that I'm, companies, companies have to, you know, kind of be in the industry. And one of your favorite golf companies um, actually bought um, a bunch of hand sanitizer from us. And I can assure you, if you lose all your golf balls, you can you can still assure you that that, that company is going to produce more for you to <laughs> right uh, to lose. <laughs> right. So. Right. <laughs> yeah. And that you also have probably can, read that. I can share a. Well, I'm just, I'm just going to give you another silly fact of the current environment is that why does everybody want a dog? Um, I don't know if you've heard that you know, the shelters are literally run out of dogs where they would, might move three dogs in a, in a period of time. Now they're moving 300. It's unbelievable. Right. And, of course, uh, we, Chris and I, consider the dog to be one of the most elegant tic taxis that there are. So right. if you just got a new dog, don't let them in your bed ever. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, I I concur with that. Um, it, it's very interesting. You know, I, I'm I'm always interested in um, in in products and, and and or services that that do something that obviously legitimately provide a benefit. And um, that was you know when when Teddy, of course, who who handles a lot of your PR, um, approached me at the PGA show as I mentioned earlier. Um, it was very very interesting because. You know, when she kind of gave me a little bit of the backstory before we met, um, I thought, you know, hey, this would be something I'd like to have on the show because it, it is an area, especially again where I am in Florida, a lot of people are concerned about. There, I mean, the, the the bugs down here are 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 a bugger to say the least, and a lot of the products are are very toxic that we t typically get. So, you know, it's nice to be able to bring to to my listeners um, something that is a safe alternative to what's out there in the market and that's effective. Um, and they're not having to constantly reapply, you know, 50 times during a round of golf. Um, you know, they can reapply it once and, and uh, be done with it and, and, um, and, and move on. And, um, you know, and the fact that you're not smelling like you, you know, you've been in a chemical factory for, um, you know, the last uh, few hours. So I think that's, uh, that's great, and, and it's good, again, for the environment. So what's, uh, are there other things down the pike that you can share, or is there – 
uh, maybe a little bit too secretive? Are there other products or other things that you're looking to expand in addition to what you've already done that you can share, or is that for another time? Well, I'd say, I'd, I'd say um, Ted, the first thing is um, I'm excited that um, we designed a product that was designed for um, police officers and rangers and military people who have to wear protection for 12 hours a day, and golfers can wear it. That's kind of our – the exciting thing is we designed it for those guys. They wear it, and golfers can use it. And so that our first step was actually get that part done, and we're really excited that we got that part done. Um, there are new products in the in the pipeline. Um, we have um, new biodegradable uh, wipes, which are um, mm-hmm. for use as you travel and you go around, um, and you can put them in your you can put them in your golf bag. Um, we have a new product that's available uh, with permethrin, which is you you spray on your clothing, and we're excited that mm-hmm. that's coming to market in the fall. And as you know, you know, part of this is getting regulated by the FDA and the EPA and getting sure. organized to kind of bring these products to market. But we've been pretty successful in getting them, you know, to market quickly. And and as we bring those to market, we'll we'll share them with your listeners as we can. So um, sure. part of it staying ahead of the game and kind of staying ahead of the bugs and the ticks is, is kind of our goal. Yeah. yeah, and that's, I think, something we can definitely all – I'll get behind. I can I can speak volumes on that one alone. Um, let me ask you, uh, I guess, just a sort of a final question for those listeners that uh, you know have been tuning into the show and they've been hearing a little bit about um, what it is that you guys do and, and what you've brought to market. Um, what's the best way if they want to, you know, get more information? I know you have a website, so maybe you can share that. And and uh, obviously during this difficult time, it's probably a little harder to do things, but you're obviously still able to. Um, I'm assuming to fill orders on on uh, most of your products and that. What's the best way for them to learn more about the products and if they want to purchase some? Rangerated.com. It's the easiest way to see us. Um, our, our warehouse is open. We have um, a small little team who's shipping every day, and and if you put an order in today, it goes out tomorrow. So um, it's a it's a it's you know, it's part of a, uh, being a, a small family business, if you will, and and helping mm-hmm. um, your listeners who are playing golf every day and trying to kind of keep their lives normal. Um, you can, if you put an order in at rangerreddit.com, we will ship it the next day, and you'll have it in a couple of days. Perfect. Well, guys, I want to thank both of you for coming on tonight and sharing uh, a little bit about your story, uh, but also about your product and. I know you gave me a couple of bottles down at the show, and I have uh, used some of it, and uh, uh, I can concur it definitely works, and it's a great product, and I highly recommend it. Uh, for the listeners, go to rangerready.com uh, and, and start uh, ordering yours today. But, guys, thank you very much, and uh, please um, tell Teddy that uh, you know as things progress with some other new things coming down the pike when they're ready, um, maybe later in the season, if she wants to connect with me and have you come back on and and uh, you know, pre-launch or what have you, I'm more than happy to have you back on the show. But I appreciate you guys uh, giving your time tonight, and and please continue to stay safe, uh, stay safe, excuse me, and um, keep doing the great stuff that you guys are doing. And, and happy golfing. Well, thank you, and thank you, Ted, and we appreciate it sincerely. Thanks, Ted. Take care. All right. See you soon. All right. Cheers. Yeah. Bye. Thanks, guys. Bye bye. All right. That was uh, Ted Keston and Chris Fuentes, the founders of Ranger Ready Repellents. 
and they've also, as they mentioned, uh, have come out with a hand sanitizer as well. Um, I think they're uh, a little short on stock right now with uh, with the big demand, but uh, I'm sure they'll be having more, as they mentioned, I think mid-May uh, coming soon. So you definitely want to go to Ranger Ready. Uh, dot com and uh, and get your orders in. Um, but as far as the uh, their regular products, their insect repellents, as they mentioned, they do have some scented ones, uh, but they also have a non-scent for those of you that don't like to uh, to have any uh, uh, scent in, in that. But um, one of the nice things about it is it does not contain DEET and it contains a, a different uh, uh, product uh, within it that is uh, environmentally friendly and also um, not harmful to you as well. Um, as I mentioned, uh, they're not here to uh, to um, wipe out any insects. They're just simply trying to keep them away so they can have more enjoyment in their outdoor activities, and they want you to do the same. So make sure you do that. Uh, go to rangerready.com uh, and get uh, and get your uh, yourself uh, some order. All right. Uh, I want to thank everybody for tuning in tonight's show, and once again, thanks to uh, the guys on the panel, John Decker and Clint Wright, for. Uh, always bringing your best here on the show. I appreciate it very much. And again, to my special guest this evening from Ranger Ready uh, Repellents. Thanks, guys. And I will see you next week uh, with another Coach's Corner panel and another uh, great guest interview. So I hope you'll tune in. God bless everybody. And I'll see you next week right here on Golf Talk Live. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this evening's broadcast of Golf Talk Live. Remember to tune in each week at blogtalkradio.com forward slash golf talk live if you can't join us live check out the on-demand section for previously aired broadcasts or listen on any of the following social media platforms itunes stitcher tune in cast box talk stream live and of course spotify to get updates on future shows and upcoming guests be sure to visit the show's facebook page golf talk live blog you can also follow me on twitter at ted and buck ceo remember to join me live each week for another great broadcast of golf talk live See you next time. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.